right, all right. Um, wanted to share some moments like that. We'll be sharing them for the remainder of the month. The worship planning team thought that it would be good, especially not only because it's Black History Month, but also because we are uh, in this series called Facing Giants. And uh, when we're talking about facing giants, our ancestors um, are ones who face tremendous odds and giants to ensure that we have freedoms um, and equality here. And, um, and we want to pay homage to them and honor them. And we wanted to look beyond the typical stories. We know Martin, we know Malcolm, we know Rosa, but there are some figures in history who are often unmentioned. And, uh, and Ella Baker is one of my favorites because um, there is not a, a civil rights leader whom we know that we mentioned that she has not touched. And, um, and so she was in the background, as we know so much about our community, that oftentimes men such as myself, we occupy the places of leadership, uh, but in the background, making sure everything works, is oftentimes strong black women, man, putting, putting it down. And so, uh, so we want to honor uh, them with that tremendous legacy and what they have done and what it means to us. Amen? Amen. Well, this morning we are continuing in our series called Facing Your Giants. Uh, last week we talked about fighting through fear. And uh, let me make sure that I'm clear again that the goal of this series is not to unpack all of our giants, for there are many, uh, but rather what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the things that prevent us, prohibit us from fighting the giants in our lives. Last week we looked at King Saul and his Fear, fighting through fear, his fear and people pleasing, which prevented him from fighting his giant, the Goliaths in his life. And um, today, we're going to look at Elijah the prophet, and we are going to share from the subject, depleted and defeated. Depleted and defeated. Join me, if you will, in the book of First Kings, chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. I want to read 18 verses. It's kind of lengthy, but it's okay. You need a little bit more Bible reading in your life, so I'm not going to apologize for it. First Kings, chapter 19, beginning at verse 1, reading from the New International Version. This is what you'll find. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent the messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water, he ate it and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. 
I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord God said, go out and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shouted the rocks before the Lord, and the Lord was not in the wind. And then after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram, anoint, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Maholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu, Jehu will put to death any who escaped the word of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Depleted and defeated. Let us pray. Eternal God, we thank you so much for this time. Lord, for your word, Lord, that is life-giving, that speaks to us, that gives us a road map, Lord, to you. So now, God, more than anything, I pray, Lord, that you use your word this morning to speak to your people that they may hear from you, Lord. I know that there are specific needs, both in this house and also virtually. God, where people are calling out, Lord, for you to show up in their circumstances. So God, I pray that you do nothing less than that. Be the deliverer that we know that you are, our great Jehovah. Be the healer that we know you are, our Lord God, Rothi. God, move. Let your spirit penetrate our hearts. Lord, that we make ourselves vulnerable before you. But God, as your servant today, God, I pray, Lord, that your will be done in me. For God, I am keenly aware of my flaws. I understand my frailties. But God, I pray that you punish not your people for the frailty of your servant. Because, God, although I am unable and I am unworthy, Heavenly Father, I am willing. So use this willing vessel, Lord, for your perfect will to be done right now. And, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, God, may it be acceptable in your sight. For, O oh Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Let us all say together, amen and amen. Amen. Our passage picks up today on the heels of one of the most epic scenes in all of Scripture. It's the story of the showdown of the prophets. 
You may be familiar with it that we see uh, Elijah the prophet who in one corner, the prophet of Jehovah, battles the 450 prophets of Baal. And then don't forget about, we often forget there are also another 400 prophets of Asherah. We don't know how many showed up specifically at that moment, but there are anywhere from 450 to 850 prophets in one corner for these pagan gods. And then there is the prophet of Jehovah, of Yahweh himself, known as Elijah. This showdown to see whose God was real, and it happened like such. Elijah says, you guys go first, and they, they gather together, and all the day they pray, they cry. They cut themselves, they, they chant and do all of their ritualistic things in order for Baal to show himself, to call down fire from heaven so that they would know that their God was real. Nothing's happened. It's been a long day. Elijah, I love him because clearly he's got a sense of humor. He begins poking at them and he begins picking at them. He says, hey, maybe he's asleep. Maybe, maybe he's forgotten. Maybe you ought to cry a little louder. And I love it. He begins picking with them to, to demonstrate to them because he knows for sure that their God was non-existent. Then after a time, after Baal didn't show up on the next day, Elijah's time now for him to show up and to show that Jehovah God is the real God. He says, not only am I going to have my God to, to call down fire from heaven, but he says, I need y'all to take some water and I need y'all to drench the entire altar with water so I can show you all just how powerful my God is. Story goes, they, they, they drenched the space. Elijah says, go ahead and do it again. Let's make sure. And there was a trench filled with water all around the altar. And Elijah prays a simple prayer, and once he does, man, the Lord God allows fire to come down from heaven, and it completely consumes the entire altar. At the finish of it, all of the people of Israel whom had been given themselves over to the pagan god of Baals and Asherahs, they then begin to bow God uh, in repentance, bow down to God in repentance, and proclaim once more that Yahweh is God. And as a result, Elijah takes the sword himself and he puts all the prophets of Baal and Asherah to death on that day. It's a showdown of prophets. It is um, amazing, but we got to look at the humanity of it here in a moment that we'll share. What happens then is King Ahab, who was king over Israel at the moment, uh, he sees what's happening and, um, and he is now frightened because he and Elijah have been at odds for at least about three years up until this point. And Elijah says, it's been a drought in the land that Elijah called by the power of the Lord. Elijah says, now after all this has been done, I'm going to show you too how powerful my God is. Not only is he going to rain down fire from heaven, but he's also going to bring water. He's going to bring rain down from heaven as well. And he tells, uh, tells Ahab, man, you need to go ahead and get home. A storm is coming. And as sure as Elijah said, the clouds start to gather. The earth grows dark and a storm is on its way. King Ahab then goes home and he reports to his wife, you know her name, Jezebel. He reports to his wife Jezebel about what's happened, and she sends a letter to Elijah and says, as sure as I live by the gods that I serve, what happened to my prophets is going to happen to you. Now, before we move on to Elijah, I want to talk to you all just a little bit about Jezebel. Um, I think that we have been unfairly judgmental of Jezebel. Uh, 
shocking, right? I think that we have villainized Jezebel in ways that she doesn't necessarily deserve. Um, uh, in seminary, they, they teach you how to read Bible through a feminist lens. Uh, because recognizing that, that the scriptures and many of the commentaries that we read are all written through the gaze of men. And men, we have our perspective on writings and things, but women see things differently. And so they say, you need to see and understand how women view these stories. Well, my 18-year-old daughter, Bishop, introduced me to not feminism, but she introduced me to womanism. Seminary introduced me to feminism. My daughter introduced me to womanism. The difference of the two is this, is that feminism is female-centered and issue-based, whereas womanism centers black women and is equally concerned about all forms of oppression. And so you read the scriptures then from the position. Now, I, I, I know a little bit about what feminism could be. I know a whole lot about how to attack the scriptures from womanism because, you know, I'm married to a black woman, raised by a black woman, got a bunch of black women in my family. I understand how, at least a little bit, how black women think. At least a little bit. Not much. Not much. Not much. The story of Jezebel through the lens of feminism or womanism looks like this. It's clear that Ahab was a weak man. You just got to read the chapters preceding, and you know that Ahab was not a strong king himself. He formed allegiances around him, and he was given to the ebb and flow of every other person he was connected to and never had a strong word to say himself. When we consider the weakness of King Ahab, and then we then look at his wife Jezebel, here's what it looks like through a womanistic lens. Jezebel is married to a weak man and has to overcompensate for his lack of strength. Therefore, when any opposition comes upon the family, she's only doing her best to protect hers and everything that's around her. She is mama bear protecting her home and her cubs. And so we have unfairly then looked at Jezebel as though she's this evil woman. Now, Revelation Jezebel is different from this Jezebel. And I'm not saying that she's innocent and that she's pure or necessarily righteous. I'm just saying she's not the portrait of evil that we have made her out to be. She's simply a woman who's doing the best that she can because she has no support at home. And there's a lot of women in here who know today, a lot of women watching virtually, you know what it's like when you've got a man who's supposed to do his part, but perhaps, man, he hasn't been there. We saw. That's why we were intentional about Ella Baker today. There were a lot of men who were on Front Street who got all of the credit for leading the entire time. As a matter of fact, man, the entire civil rights movement, although we see Dr. King and we see all these great leaders, I'm telling you, if there was no Ella Baker, if there was no Diane Nash, if there were no strong women in the background, we would not be where we are today because women stood up where men were not able to. Jezebel has been unfairly and unjustly villainized in our story. But she ain't like Elijah. And she did kill a whole lot of prophets trying to protect hers. So check this out. Elijah has this tremendous battle where he killed anywhere from 450 to 850 prophets. Jezebel, check out her strength, sends one letter to Elijah and he runs, cries, and fears for his life. 
Okay, let me say it one more time. Elijah just personally killed anywhere from 450 to 850 prophets by himself. Jezebel sends one letter. She didn't confront Elijah face to face. She didn't show up at his crib. She didn't tweet him. She didn't get in his DMs. She simply sent snail mail, sent the letter to his house. And out of the letter alone, Elijah, who just killed hundreds of prophets, now leads in fear crying. And all of a sudden, this powerful prophet is asking God just to let me die. Let me die. Facing our giants. Elijah's giant clearly is Jezebel. But I think we've got to be sure of something else, that perhaps Elijah has a giant that's called depression. In order to get to his giants, the barriers between his giants and what he's incapable of facing is fatigue, it's despair, and it is hopelessness. He can't even get to Jezebel or see her in the right light. He can't even deal with this depression because he's too tired. He's fatigued. He is worn out. He is depleted, and therefore he is feeling defeated. Despair and fatigue is settled in. I'm talking to somebody today. Now going into this third year of the pandemic, you, you understand what it means to be fatigued, depleted, and in despair. Somebody today who's tired, you're tired, man, and, and you feel like you don't have enough strength to make it through the day. I'm talking about somebody today whom you've lost people, you've lost connections, and because of the need to do what you're supposed to do day in and day out, uh, to go to work, to care for your families, to provide, and all of those things, you haven't even had an opportunity to pause for a moment, to mourn and to grieve and to deal and wrestle with what you're experiencing internally because the day-to-day -day hustle and bustle of life is calling you not to be able to settle in and see what's going on on the inside of you. Somebody today who's listening to me, whether you're here in person or watching virtually, you're just tired. Every day it's a struggle to get out of bed. Every day it's a struggle to go to their job. Every day it's a struggle to be there for the people who depend on you, to love your spouse the way that they hope that you can, to, to go in to perform at high levels. You feel like you are lacking strength, you are fatigued, and you are just tired. And what happens is fatigue then leads to despair because you begin to ask the question, what does it even matter anymore? I continue to give my best. And no matter how hard I work, no matter how hard I try, I feel like I don't have enough strength and I don't have enough to give anybody anymore. And what's happening now is these days, these years, this time is beginning to get the best of you. Despair and fatigue is set in to Elijah. But I want you to see the humanism in this, the humanity rather in this. Elijah is now running fearful of his life. He's hoping that he can die. One of the things, listen to this preachers especially, don't miss out on what took place. He just killed hundreds of people. Number one, all of us, when we read scripture, recognize that when people die, it's not something that we rejoice over. Imagine then what he must be experiencing internally, even though perhaps he's done it for a just cause, but hundreds of people died from his hand. There's this thing that's called post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. 
Imagine now Elijah has the blood on his hands and he's now sitting there not only grieving because of the threat from Jezebel, but he's also having to deal with the reality of the lives that he has taken. We know this, man, from just watching people who go to war, how they come back because they have these visions of death that reoccur in their mind, that PTSD. Elijah is sitting now under the tree wishing that he would die, that he could just give up because everything that he's experienced up to this point lets him know, I don't have enough to keep going on. Because even when I go and I do something at the highest levels and I'm supposed to be successful and celebrated, Elijah saw that this was supposed to be the victory or the battle that would give me the utmost victory. And when the battle is won, I only get the remnants of a battle that's yet to come. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. That when you have seemingly fought the biggest fight of your life, You've gone in and you've battled cancer. You've gone in and you've battled divorce. You've gone in and you've battled financial uh, depravity. You've gone in and you've battled family issues. And you keep fighting and fighting and fighting. And the only thing that happens after that is done, something else comes knocking on your doors. And the only thing you can say is, God, I've given everything that I've got. I have nothing left to give. And I just want to give up. I want you to know, and I'm going to sit here for a while today, my brothers and sisters, that if that is where you are, somebody needs to know that it is okay. It's okay. The world that we live, live in forces us to move fastly from moment to moment. Mourn. You get three days. When you love somebody, it takes more than three days to get over that loss. Sickness in our bodies. You get a couple of days. If you don't show up, they're going to fire you. People look at you as though there's something wrong with you for holding on to moments. Don't let people strip you of your humanity. You deserve time to sit and to grieve and to settle in. You deserve that. It's okay. It's okay. But also, man, there's this idea about mental health. I've said this, man, a few times from here, um, and, uh, and I actually had somebody uh, from my own congregation challenge me on it, but I'm going to say it again. I'm not going to apologize for it. You need Jesus and a therapist. There are mental health issues, man, that we experience that we've got to learn how to deal with. And, and listen, uh, I'm a good listener. I promise you I am. Bishop's a great listener. I promise you I am. We are not therapists. We may be counselors, but I only got so much for you. And at the end of the day, if I feel like what you've got is too much for me, I'm going to give you the number to a therapist and tell you, go use your insurance and get some help. And, and I don't know why we struggle with that, because um, if you've got pain in your body, you're going to a doctor. Well, what happens when you have pain mentally and emotionally? There are doctors for that, that the Lord God has gifted commission for them to serve you go allow them to do their job and you get healed but also 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 because I know I know where it's going where some of your thoughts are because this is where I've been challenged oh you know we are supposed to be people of faith and the Lord will heal you well let me let you know this and I mean this with all sincerity let me tell you something baby claiming something that does not exist and does not make you faithful perhaps you are damaging yourself 
Nobody is saying that you have to live your life in despair, depressed because of what you are experiencing. But what we're saying is that don't go around lying, talking about uh, I'm okay and that I'm healed and all those things. And you ain't gone and got a checkup. You ain't gone and seen a doctor. You ain't talked to nobody. No, that is called denial. That is not called faith. But also, if you want to talk about faith, let me tell you about faith. I don't know what God you serve. Every sickness that I got, my God is big enough to handle. If I got cancer, God's big enough for it. Yeah. If I've got sickness in my body, my God's big enough for it. If I am depressed, my God's big enough for it. My God is big enough for all of those things. And he's so big, not only will he handle it spiritually, but he's placed people with me horizontally who I can talk to, who will heal me, who will give me medication if I need it. God has commissioned and ordained all of those things so that we can walk in the healing that he's desired for us. I know that's, man, revolutionary for some of us, and I know that it doesn't make sense at all times, but tell me this, what kind of God would he be if he would put us on this planet and he would say, listen, ignore what's happening to you and just serve me. In order for you to live the abundant life, my brothers and sisters, we've got to learn to deal. Deal, deal. God's big enough for everything that you're experiencing. You ain't got to deny it. Deliver it to Jesus. Yeah. Some of you all only know that he's a healer because you called on him and you trusted him. Yeah. Some of you only know that he's a provider because you called on him and you trusted him. And to make matters a little bit deeper, let me tell you this. Scripturally, challenge me only if you want. Um, every miracle in the Bible has two parts to it. It is one part divine and one part human. And if you're walking around refusing to do your part, what God look like stepping up if you don't even want to help? That's kind of like saying, God, uh, God, help me. I've got high blood pressure, but you're going to leave here today and go eat a plate full of fried chicken. Baby, you don't care about God healing you. You are fighting against God. There are things that we are experiencing. There are mental health challenges, man, in our community that we've got to learn to deal with. And it doesn't make us any less faithful, any less of believers if we commit ourselves some type, to some type of treatment and care. Some of us have been walking around here, and I just got to spend about five or ten minutes talking to you. And I can hear your mama issues, your daddy issues, your abandonment issues. I can hear about the abuse that you experienced as a childhood. And here you are, 50, 60, 70 years old, still suffering from the struggles that you had more than 50 years ago. And you have yet to deal with it. But you come to church thinking that every Sunday somebody's going to give you something to make you feel better, only to go home and still be unhappy. But God wants you to do more than show up in here on Sunday thinking that somebody's going to put some shouting in your feet, and that's going to help you. Baby, listen, shout. Shouting, I love this. Shouting has two parts to it, um, and, 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 and I enjoy it. Shouting has two parts. You shout for joy, but then you also shout out of pain. Yeah, yeah. If, if, you, if, you, uh, if, if you get a big check in the mail, what you going to do? You go, oh, yeah, there you go, there you go, there you go, there you go. I love it, I love it, I love it. Yeah. But if you stub your toe, what you going to do? Yeah. Shouting has two parts. And I don't know why we think that the only time we're supposed to shout is when something miraculous happened. There's also this idea of shouting out of our pain. And sometimes you've got to shout out, shout to, let God know what you're going through and deliver it to God. 
Y'all think I'm just on a tangent and I'm not my scripture, don't y'all? Okay, okay, here's what happens. Elijah makes himself under, uh, to this tree. He lays under this tree and the Lord asks Elijah, what are you doing here? And I love this because the first thing that Elijah does is he tells the truth about where he is. He says, God, um, them people, them people, um, they, they, they kill everybody and about to kill me. They don't believe in you no more. Um, God, I'm tired and, uh, and, and, and they trying to kill me and I just want to die. He was honest about it. He was honest about where he was. He, God didn't say, Elijah, what are you doing? He said, say, I'm blessed and I favor God all is well. Ooh, got a mighty bird of fire. Got a mighty run on with the Lord. Lord, everything's good. No, he said, God, I hurt. Now, here's what's true. When we read a little bit further, we know that his claim was irrational. But it doesn't matter because at that moment, it's his truth. And because that's the way that he felt, what happened is God showed up. And I love it. In some translations, it says this, he ministered to him. It was irrational. Elijah wasn't in the right mind. God had to correct that a little bit later. But before God did, God ministered to him. And here's what he did. I know we got to go eat pizza, chicken wings, and watch commercials. But let me tell you a couple of quick things that happened. Um, one of the first things is that um, God asked him a question. He responded. The second thing is this. He slept. He rested. He, he rested. And before he did anything else, he went to sleep again. He rested. We're taught that you go, 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 go. But Elijah's teaching us, the Lord is showing us through his story that there are times that the only thing you need to do is to rest. Come here, man, whoever you are. You're juggling the day-to-day. You're balancing everything from in your family. You got too much on your plate. You're overwhelmed. You're struggling. Get your rest. Get your rest. Sleep. Get, Get a deep sleep. Rest a little while. Everything that you've got to worry about in the world, when you wake up, it'll still be there. Today, get your rest. Get your rest. And at some point in time, whatever you're carrying for other people, they've got to learn how to carry it themselves. Get your rest. Get your rest. I love it because when when the angel of the Lord shows up, he wakes Elijah up and he doesn't say, Elijah, now get back out there. No, he says, yeah, eat. And then Elijah went back to sleep. Yeah. See how the Lord cared for him. The, the, Lord, the Lord took care of the need that he had right there rather than pushing him back out. Stop allowing people to force you to get back out there, to go through there. Over the last two now, almost three years into this third year of this pandemic, people keep trying to force us back into this, this rush of life. And there are many of you who are resisting it. Continue to resist. You don't have to. You don't have to. The world can wait with all of its cares and worries. You rest. Get your rest. Get your rest. I love this. He, he slept, but then the angel fed him. And, and the second time that the angel of the Lord woke him up, he, he fed him and he said, for you need strength for your journey. Yeah. 
You need strength for your journey. What we find out is that Elijah has a 40 day and night journey that he has to travel in order to get to where he desires to be. And in order to get so, the angel made sure that every ounce of strength that Elijah needed to have for the journey that he would have before he moved forward. Take that note. Elijah did not move until he was strengthened enough for the journey. Elijah did not move until he was strengthened enough for the journey, which means if, if you are not strong enough right now, and if you feel yourself trying to go and you don't have the energy, you don't have the will to do it, baby, go back and rest again. And if people ask, well, why aren't you telling none of your business? I am taking care of me. I am doing me. I am protecting my peace. I am making sure that the Lord strengthened me, that the Lord built me back up before I go back out just to impress you so that you can see how good I look doing things. Take care of you. The Lord says, don't move for you need to be strong enough for the journey. Strong enough for the journey. He makes sure that he's strong enough. And then he goes. He travels. And what's beautiful is this. His journey was only for one thing. Not that he might be the best prophet again, not that he might go into the next battle, not that he might do the next thing. His journey was simply this. He was journeying to get into the presence of the Lord. Says that he traveled 40 days and 40 nights to find himself on Mount Horeb, which is called the mountain of God. He went to the mountain of God only to go into a cave, almost like the house of God, so that he could have an encounter with God. What Elijah recognized was this, is that if I am going to get better, what I recognize is that I cannot get better in my own strength. And so he journeyed only to find himself in the presence of God. You want to know what happened? I'm glad you asked. When he made it to the mountain of God, God showed up for him and the Lord's spoke to him once again. And he asked Elijah a question a second time. And Elijah answers it the very same way. Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah is honestly saying, God, life sucks. People are mean. They are killing your prophets. People are giving up. And I feel like I'm the last one left. God, it is terrible out here. He tells the truth. And God didn't correct him. He just simply gave him instructions, and everything that God told him would be exactly what Elijah needed for his healing. Oh, it's really there. He says, listen, they're trying to kill him. He says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to raise up a partner for you, and you're going to anoint him king of Aram, and everything is going to be okay because all the people who are fighting against you, he's going to put them to the sword. But not only that, you feel like you're doing it all by yourself. I'm going to raise up for you somebody who's going to come alongside you who will succeed you, another prophet, by the name of Elisha. And I know that you think that it's just you and Elisha and this king, but I want you to know that also I got at least 7,000 more who are waiting, who have not bowed down to Baal, nor have they kissed his lips. I've got people who are there for you. Everything that Elijah needed in that moment, God says, I need you to see, Elijah, I've got everything covered for you. But Elijah would have never made it. He would have never understood. He would have never gotten there had he not been honest about God about where he was, had he not rested, and had he not uh, let the Lord fill him up so that he could become strengthened enough for the battle. This has to be important to us because many of these things go unspoken in our churches and in our families because we are taught to mask how we feel. But I want this beloved community that we're building to be a place of vulnerability. 
not to come in faking it. You can be honest about where you are. And we're not going to tell you, baby, just have faith. We're going to say, man, can I pray with you? Can I give you a hug from six feet apart? <laughs> can I call you? Can I walk with you? Even if you don't understand it, even if you don't agree with it, people just need somebody to stand with them. A couple of weeks ago, we saw what this looked like. As um, Chesley Christie, I think is her name, or Christ, the former Miss USA, whom everybody knew to be jovial, happy, and they said she made everybody else happy. But clearly she was battling something internally. And this poor 30-year-old woman, struggling internally, jumped out a window in New York City from a high rise to her death. But she was happy. But clearly she wasn't. Because the people around her perhaps never really saw what she was experiencing because she was suffering in silence, putting on a mask, a facade for the benefit of other people. Stop faking it to make other people feel better. Stop trying to perform for people and be real. Uh, if nothing else, when you come here, when you come to the church, if, if, if there are no sick, how is this a house of healing? If there are no sick, how is this a house of healing? How are we supposed to be the place where people come to get healing and deliverance, but we, give, we have nothing to be healed and nothing to be delivered from? Bring it here. Let's be vulnerable to one another. I love it because there, there's, there's this season of this. We saw this last year with very two. Again, man, you know, women, y'all be on y'all thing. I love it. Be in your bag. We saw it, first of all, with the Olympics. And we saw uh, the greatest gymnast in history who decided that because of what I'm experiencing mentally, I will clearly back out and I will not perform because I'm going to take care of me and myself. And Simone Biles, courageously, because of her own mental health, says, I don't care what the world thinks, and I don't care about the pressures of everybody else. I've got to take care of me before I move forward. So she wasn't willing to allow people to put her in a compromising position. She says, healing has to come, and I'll take care of me, and I'll take whatever talk y'all got, but I put me first. And not only her, then you take Naomi Osaka, the best tennis player in the world right now. She decides to back out almost the entire year of playing because her anxiety was getting the best of her. And everybody berated her. They talked about her and all that. And Naomi simply said, I'm taking care of me. You see the similarity between them and Elijah? That they were honest about where they were? And because of the honesty about where they were, they did not lose who they were trying to perform for other people. They took care of themselves, and now both of them are working themselves back into the place where they're supposed to be. The challenge was with Simone and many other gymnasts told us, had Simone gone out with the mental state that she was, more than likely she would have injured herself and she'd never compete again. And she says, before I injure myself, before I break my life, I'll take care of myself so that I can live healthily. Uh, okay, okay, we, we got to go, we got to go. Um, I read this story 
about, uh, about a, a woman who um, lost her husband. And, um, and she, she, she was grieved by it. And um, of course, as they had been married for a very long time, and, um, and so she was tremendously heartbroken uh, after losing her husband. And so um, she had read some things about how to deal with her grief, how to deal with her mourning. And um, a many articles said, man, it's good to have a pet. And so she goes to the local pet store, and she's searching around, and she wanted something that she could really interact with, and she saw that there was a parakeet that talked. She says, oh, that'd be good for me, Mr. Wilson. That'd be good for me that I could have a parakeet that was Gwen's parakeet that talked, by the way. I'm sorry. Uh, she, she had this parakeet that would talk, and so she says, okay, that'd be really good. And so she buys the parakeet, and she takes him home. And after a week, she goes back to the pet store, and she tells the owner, she says, hey, that parakeet won't talk. He says, ain't talked all week? He said, oh, you know what? You need the mirror. Yeah, because if the parakeet don't see himself, he won't talk. And so she buys the mirror, and then she goes back home. She puts the mirror up in the cage, and after a week, the parakeet still won't talk. She goes back to the pet store once more, and she says to the owner, the parakeet still ain't talking. He says, after another week, the parakeet's still not talking. She says, no. He says, oh. You need the ladder. That's the problem. The parakeet won't talk if you don't have the ladder. So she buys the ladder. She takes it back to, uh, to home and puts it in the cage. And the parakeet, parakeet gets up and down the ladder, looks in the mirror, but he still won't talk. After the third time, she goes back again, this time angrily saying, the parakeet still won't talk. He says, I just don't. He said, ah, I know what it is. The swing. You need to swing. He needs the mirror. He needs the ladder. And he needs to swing. And he'll talk. And so reluctantly, she bought the swing, takes it back home, puts it in the cage. The parakeet walks up the ladder, looks in the mirror, sits on the swing, but he still don't talk. After another week, she goes back this time infuriated. And she goes into the pet store. And she says, that parakeet died. He said, how did it die? I don't know. It just fell over dead. And you had me buy all this stuff. And the parakeet didn't even talk. He said, after all this time, the parakeet never even said a word. She thought, well, yeah, uh, when he fell over right before he died, he had one eye open and he said, that pet store don't have no food. <laughs> she bought the ladder, bought the swing, bought the mirror. What the parakeet needed was food. She was starving the poor bird to death. That's why the parakeet wasn't talking. What if I were to tell you that for the most part of our lives, we spend so much of our energy looking for all the wrong stuff to heal us? We buy things, we comfort ourselves, we put ourselves around people, and we do a lot of meaningless and needless behavior for healing. And just like that parakeet, you think the mirror, the ladder, the swing, the relationships, the job, the car, the people, the, the, the whatever else it is, the bigger house, the more, 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 we think all of those other things will be the key to our healing. And we are dying internally because we are not giving our souls what they need for healing. We need a connection more than anything else. We were created first and foremost to be connected to God, then to be connected with humanity. But the world has taught us that all these other things is what's needed to bring us happiness and joy. 
and we keep obtaining and achieving things and we keep getting sadder and more depressed and more meaningless activity, but it's never leading us to the place where we need to be. What you need to know is that those things won't solve your hopelessness and despair. Those things won't solve the energy lack that you are experiencing. That, those things won't solve your fatigue. It won't solve your despair. And you'll never be able to face your giant of depression or the enemies or the Goliaths in your lives if you keep trying to fill yourself up with things that were never created to heal you in the first place. Whomever you are today, I'm going to ask the counselors to stand in now, if you will. Whoever you are today, and you've been trying to fill yourself with whatever it is, hoping that it will give you more energy and give you more life. You keep waking up every day depleted and more defeated. 